So we are in our series through the book of Psalms this morning. And as we are, thank you, um, as we are been making our way through this book, uh, just by way of review, just want to remind us about this beautiful book of Psalms. That in many, in a broad stroke kind of way, the book of Psalms is a picture, if you will, of what it looks like for us to love God. Whereas Proverbs is a picture of what it looks like for us to love one another. And so we are looking at this beautiful, poetic songs written by many people who in the midst of writing these beautiful songs, in the midst of writing these responsive prayers, if you will, that they are experiencing things in their lives that are not always great, that are not always well, that are not always cheap, you know, um, wonderful and, and just absolutely going well. That in many ways, many of these psalms are written in response to the events and to life in general that may be happening to them. I've shared this before and I'll share it again. The, the, the song we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul, the, 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 the genesis of that song or of that hymn is written by a man by the name of Horatio Spafford who lost his children as his wife and his children were on a ship from the Americas over to England. The ship sank. His wife survived, made it to England. He now has to get on, that, on, on another ship and go and get her and bring her back. As that ship is sailing, they were pretty much sailing over the area where the ship that carried his family, the ship that where his sons are now entombed in, sailed over that area. And it is in the midst of that that he wrote this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could have done that. Just being honest. That would have been incredibly difficult. What I love about the Psalms is that it is just this beautiful rawness of people, whether it is David or Solomon or Moses or the sons of, of, of Korosh, or, or, that are just pouring out their hearts to God, and they're not being polite. Okay? Can I just, like, I need your permission. I always find that funny. I don't need your permission. I'm going to say it. Okay? Can we drop the sense that, I, you know, I, I love it when, the, when I walk into a room and someone's talking, I say, oh, pastor, I just said a, a bad word. Okay. Go in peace, my son. <laughs> like, I'm there to absolve you of your sins. <laughs> what I love about the rawness of the Psalms is they don't hold back. It's between you and God. What you say between you and God is between you and God. You can be real. I can be real. We can say stuff to him, and guess what? We don't have to apologize all the time. God is not offended. He is not offended by that. When I was in cemetery, um, it, was, it was interesting because um, when we were writing papers, the question always came up, the pronouns, he, when we're referring to God, should we capitalize he? We were never, we were not allowed to do that. You do not submit papers where the he is capitalized. And I remember the professor sharing that saying, God is not offended by that. He's going to be just fine. One day you will not have to stand before the throne and God will say to you, you did not capitalize my pronoun. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's okay. 
what I'm saying is it's okay for us to be real. Sometimes I think we can look at this Bible and we think, oh, these people were so like God-fearing, wonderful people who never seemed to mess up. I could never be like them. I mean, look at the beauty of which, I mean, God was answering their prayers. He was showing up in a burning bush. He was parting the seas. He was doing miracles of healing and otherwise. Oh, to be in that day. And I just want to tell you, we are in that day. Same scene, different people. Doesn't change. They struggled in their faith as much as you and I struggle in ours. And I want us to look at this Bible not as a means to make us feel guilty about the fact that, oh, my faith is not as great as those in this book, but to look at this Bible and to say, these people are just like me, thank God. They have stories like mine. That gives me hope. It gives me hope. It gives me hope that Moses, as great as he was, and the fact that he, among all others, got to talk face-to-face with God, even he had anger issues, got disqualified. And yet God loved him. God honored him. He used Moses. But more than that, he loved Moses. Can we just, let me just say this as well. God is not interested in what we can do for him. He can do it all by himself. Okay? He's not interested in that. What God is interested in is our hearts, not our hands. He wants us. And by the way, he will never force himself on us. He will never force himself for you to believe or, and trust in him. Never. If you've ever come to know Jesus that way, if you were guilted or forced or coerced or anything else, I want to just say that was wrong. That should never happen because that's not the way Jesus is. Jesus never once forced himself on anyone to say, believe in me or die. And if there's anyone who could have done it, it is Jesus. And he never did it. That's love. That's love. And by the way, that was not my intro I had written down here. My intro was just a few sentences, but I'm here. This is what happens when you don't preach for a couple of weeks, church. Someone came up to me and said, are you preaching a little bit less today? And I said, well, let's just say yes. (laughs) So here this morning, we are going to continue in through this book of Psalms. And I want to say this, um, an author, Kevin Swanson, said this about the book of Psalms. John Calvin He writes, call the book of Psalms an anatomy of all parts of the soul. All the range of emotions are expressed. The Psalms weave an emotional fabric for the human soul. These inspired lyrics take us by the hand and train us in proper emotion. They lead us to emotional maturity. Let me say this as well. Emotions are God-given. They are God-given things. Emotions are are okay to have. Feelings are okay to have. By the way, feelings are neither right nor wrong. They're feelings. They're feelings. What we do in response can be right or wrong, but feelings are not right or wrong. They're feelings. Emotions are not right or wrong. So to tell someone in the midst of maybe they're having an emotion over something and you say, well, you shouldn't be feeling that way. How many times does that work? To calm down the situation. 
as though what they're feeling is wrong. It's not wrong. That's what they're feeling. It's okay. No conversation has ever been calmed down by saying, calm down. Amen. Right? It doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. In fact, if anything, you're just pouring gasoline on it. Let people feel the way that they feel. In the same way that we would let you feel the way you ought to feel and want to feel. It's okay. It's okay to get in touch with your emotions. It's okay to get in touch with your feelings. And I'm not some Jedi master saying this. Okay? It's okay. It's okay. God has given us these things. And this is reflected in the Psalms. And I love the fact that I do believe that the Psalms weave an emotional fabric of the human soul. It's a beautiful thing. So this morning, we're going to continue to build this emotional fabric of the soul. And we're going to, hopefully as a result, kind of continue to grow in what we might call emotional maturity, maybe a better understanding of our emotions, maybe an admission of what it is that who we are and who God is and how we, how we love him and how he loves us. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 119. Now, if any of you have any experience with Psalm 119, you're like, oh, Dan's not preaching short today. <laughs> I am. We're only going to look at the first eight verses. You're welcome. <laughs> Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the book of Psalms, 176 verses. It would take you about 15 minutes to read those verses out loud. 176 verses. It not only is the longest chapter in the book of Psalms, it is the longest chapter in the entire book of the Bible. And it is an acrostic. It is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. And it goes through A to Z. That's Americanized. You know, it doesn't matter what the Hebrew letters are at this point. Just understand A to Z. And so it is a beautiful, beautiful psalm that is all about God's laws, God's precepts, God's decrees, God's commandments, and how beautiful they are. And there is some in Eastern Orthodox, for instance, tradition that says that David, King David, taught his son Solomon this psalm not only to teach him the alphabet, but also the alphabet of spiritual life. We don't know if that happened, but it may have. We really don't know who wrote this psalm, by the way. It could have been David. It could have been Ezra, who was a priest, or even Daniel. I'm kind of partial to that. Here's the thing, is that this beautiful psalm, as we're going to look at just the first eight verses, we're going to weave this emotional fabric because I think there are three admissions. There may be more, but there are three big admissions that I think the author of this psalm makes right in the first eight verses of this passage. And I want us to take a look at these admissions, because these admissions aren't just statement of facts. I want you to hear me on this. They are just filled with emotion. They are filled with feelings. And I'm going to try to do my best to try to bring that out this morning. And my hope is, is that as we look at this passage that maybe we can maybe relate to what this author is, sh is, is sharing here. I titled today's message, Living the Blessed Life. And uh, another way of saying it is living the good life. Living the good life. And by the way, we might have different ideas, different pictures of what the good life or the blessed life is, but perhaps we can maybe agree on one thing. We all want to live it. We all want to live it. We all want to live a blessed life. We all want to live a good life. We want to live a life 
That is just wonderful. That is just wonderful. And yet, that may not always be possible. This morning, we're going to take a look at three admissions that this author makes about the good life, about the blessed life. And the first admission is this. Living the good life is when I walk steady on the road revealed by God. By the way, these points are wordy. I apologize ahead of time. I couldn't quite condense them down, and I'm not going to condense them down. Because you know why? I didn't feel like it. (laughs) Psalm 119. Listen to these first four verses. Living the good life is when I walk steady on the road revealed by God. Here's what the author writes. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Did you see the parallelism in the Psalms here? He is using different words to say the same thing. He calls God's law of the Lord. Then he says statutes. Then he says his ways. Then he says precepts. And that's just saying the same thing different ways. Now here's the question. What's the law of the Lord? What's the law of the Lord? How many of us have wondered what the law of the Lord is? Let me just tell you what I think the law of the Lord is, okay? I think it's the Ten Commandments, period. That's it. Moses brought them down, right? Ten Commandments. Jesus whittled them down to two. Love God, love people. Paul, the Apostle Paul, went a step further. He just got it down to one. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. I mean, that's, that's the law. That's the law. Not the other laws that we might be familiar with, that we might think are the... I believe that the, here, the Ten Commandments, are the laws that which the author is referring to. Pretty simple laws. Pretty simple things. And yet he acknowledges here, he admits that living the good life, living the blessed life, is when I walk steady on the road revealed by God. In other words, God has told us, he said, hey, listen, do you want to live a good life? Do you want to live a blessed life? Here's how you do it. Follow my laws. Pretty simple. Here's how you do it. Follow my laws. Follow the Ten Commandments. Follow everything that the Ten Commandments share. Or follow what Jesus said. Love God and love people. Pretty simple. This is not complicated stuff, is it? This is not complicated stuff. I think that's intentional. I think sometimes we make it complicated because we want to have excuses not to do it. Right? We make it sometimes complicated because why do I want to do this? So let's just make it in a way that I can't understand it. Therefore, I have an excuse not to do it. But here's the truth. Yes, if we do these things, if we follow God's law, we are blameless. If we keep his statutes and seek him with all of our hearts, we will, we, we will do no wrong. If we follow him, man, it is going to be wonderful. We can live the good life by obeying the commandments. Okay, that's it. Now go. <laughs> ah, not yet. Second admission. Here it is. This is what the author says again. Keep me steady, Father, because it is not easy to stay on this road. Whew. Keep me steady, Father, 
because it is not easy to stay on this road. Verses 5 and 6 say this. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. He's not saying that they are. He's just wishing that they were. Oh, that my ways were steadfast. That then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. Why in the world, when it is so simple to live the good life, do we not do it? Why do we oftentimes go off-road? Why do we oftentimes decide, mm, I'm going to just go over here and just take another path, if you will? Why do we do these things? There's a lot of reasons why, I think, right? Maybe we just love the sense of adventure, right? Maybe it's because we're not really smart. Maybe we think it's better over there. I went off-roading once. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, I had my first and only encounter with a very, very, very dangerous snake. Do you know why I had that encounter? I went off-road. <laughs> okay? We were walking, my wife, my children, and I, we were walking near um, uh, Tortolita Middle School. Right? And there's, there's pathways back there and all that kind of stuff. And, and there are pathways that are meant for people to walk on. And then there are pathways for rodents to be on. Well, I wanted to take a shortcut. And I could see the other path just right over there. I didn't want to walk all the way around. I wanted to go there, right there. And so I said, well, there's a little path. I'm going to take this. And I start walking. And all of a sudden, I come up. And there, I'm just about ready. And I look down. I happen to look down just in, just in time. There was a diamondback rattlesnake curled up, looking at me perfectly still, not in any way shocked, but getting ready, if he had to, to do some business if I stepped on him. I'm like, whoa, hey, and I backed up. I go back and say, Lori, there's a diamondback rattlesnake. Get a picture of it. <laughs> so I did. I still have that picture today. It's a grainy picture, but I almost got in serious trouble because I went off-road. How many of us, or rather, let me just ask this in a more safer way. How many others have you known who have gotten into trouble because they went off-road? right? Maybe it's our sense of adventure. Maybe it's because we know better. Ah, this path, I know better. I know me. I know what I like. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go off path. I'm going to go off the road. Maybe it's just because we are just blatantly disobedient. We are just sinful, fallen people. That's usually the go-to answer, right? Why are, why are you the way you are? I'm a sinner. Yeah, that's important to recognize, right? Let's drill down there, okay, a little bit and understand what that kind of means. What do you mean you're a sinner? Well, perhaps the biggest one is, I'm me, I'm in charge of me, I want to be in charge of me, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I will not obey. So I'm going to go off road just to prove that I'm my own person. Good luck. This is all sorts of stuff we do. It's all sorts of reasons why we choose to not obey. Eugene Peterson, who authored the message paraphrase, he says this about the Bible. But sooner or later, we find that not everything is to our liking in this book. It starts out sweet to our taste. And then we find it doesn't sit well with us at all. It becomes bitter in our stomachs. Finding ourselves in this book is most pleasant, flattering even. And then we find that, that, book, that this book, the Bible, is written not to flatter us, but to involve us in a reality, God's reality that doesn't cater to our fantasies or even to ourselves. 
I mean, you ever, you ever see that? I love the, the, the range of emotions and the, cycl, the, the cyclical nature of us coming to know Scripture at the first time we come to know Jesus. We love the Bible. Can't get enough of the Bible. We're reading the Bible. We're taking it in. This is wonderful stuff. Until we get to the point where it's like, this is not about what I thought it was going to be about. This isn't about making me happy. This isn't about catering to my interests and what I want. This is rather about putting me into and trying to help me understand the reality of God and what he wants for me. And the reality is, is that I'm either a slave to him, I either serve him, or I'm a slave to sin. But either way, I'm a servant. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather much have God as a master than sin. And so all of a sudden now, we begin to go in this way, and we begin to find out that this, I just want to go off-road. Maybe we just don't like the laws that God get, has given. We find them to be kind of prudish. We find them to be outdated. We may find them to be kind of things that, you know what, God doesn't understand me. God is God and I'm, and I'm me kind of thing. It's interesting that the kind of the parallel, one of the parallel verses to this passage is Matthew 5, verses 21 through 24, as well as 27 through 30. I'm going to read this and you're familiar with this passage, it is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, it's interesting, as he is giving his first big sermon, and by the way, if you think my sermons are long, Jesus talked a lot too, okay? Several chapters here of just him talking to the crowds. But Jesus did something that I don't get to do, and I don't do often, is I, he fed them, okay? <laughs> he fed them. I'm not feeding you. Well, actually, you can if you stay for pizza, apparently. Here's the thing. Listen to these. Jesus, if they were people were hoping that Jesus would come and abolish the law, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. Instead, what did he come to do? Fulfill it down to every single dot and iota. Everything. To fulfill it completely. God's laws. And Jesus, in response to that declaration, in saying that declaration, now goes further and says, oh, by the way, and let me read for you. This is what it says here. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. One of the Ten Commandments. Okay, you shall not murder. Yeah, 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 right. Don't kill anybody. I got it, Jesus. I can do that. I haven't killed a person ever. I've thought about it. Oh, you've thought about it? Well, let's go on. Here it goes. <laughs> but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus takes the law, the Ten Commandments, and says, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on the surface. Do not murder. Here's the root of what murder oftentimes is caused by, and that is hatred. And Jesus says, you want to deal with that? Be reconciled. Go and be reconciled with the person. Ah, that's living a blessed life. That's living a blessed life. Seriously? You mean to tell me if I'm in kind of a proper parallelism to what offering a gift is kind of maybe communion? That if there is someone I know has a problem with me, I'm to go and be reconciled to them before I'm supposed to take communion? Well, yeah. Apparently so. It's that important. 
In other words, Jesus says, guess what? The law isn't just what we see, it's also what is intended or what even causes potentially for us to break that law. Why does murder occur? Murder often occurs because of hatred, period. And Jesus says, to deal with hatred, go and be reconciled. Oh, that's really hard. Simple, but not easy. Yeah, let me give you another example if you think that one was hard. This one's even harder. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Seriously? Goes on. Here's Jesus' solution. If you have lust, because lust oftentimes are the seedbeds for adultery. Not always, but a big time. Why adultery occurs is often starts with lust. He says, here's your solution. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Huh. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, let's be honest. I've heard many passages and sermons preached on this passage, and it's kind of interesting for them to the pastors who are preaching on this, to say, boy, if that was literally, we took that literally, how many of us would be walking around half blind and half, you know, with one hand, right? We understand that may not be a literal way of understanding it, but the figurative way is pretty simple when it comes to lust and dealing with lust. Don't look and don't touch. (laughs) Pretty simple. Don't look and don't touch. Now, I don't know about you, but doing those two things kind of make us look kind of weird. I work out at a gym. You probably can't tell. It's okay. I can't tell either. I don't know how many of us guys avert our gazes. But we do. And it looks funny. Yeah, it's better to look foolish than to fall into adultery. Be foolish. I was reading about some celebrities, um, and this one particular celebrity, when he takes a picture with someone of the opposite sex, he never touches them. And you see it in the pictures. It looks funny. He just has his hands like this, but he never touches their backs at all. Ever. Never. It looks hilarious. It looks weird. It looks funny. Better to look funny, hilarious, and weird than it is to be in hell. Amen? Don't look and don't touch. That's a cure for lust. Avert your eyes. Look away. Live a blessed life if you do these things. You live a blessed life if you do these things. Uh, A pastor, Craig Rochelle, says this. I believe Christians often perceive obedience to God as some test designed just to see if we're really committed to him. But he goes on and says this, but what if it's designed as God's way of giving us what's best for us? Do you honestly think God wants us to fall into heartache and pain because of the things that we do? Do you think that's what God wants for us? Do you think that God puts these laws into place so that he can stifle us? So that he can say, you're having fun? 
no. You're laughing too much. Knock it off. Knock it off. No. I don't think God has put these laws into place so he can ruin our lives. I think, law, I think God has put these laws into place so that we can live a wonderful, blessed, good life. That we can go to sleep in peace. That we can wake up and just be like, ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me not to fall into temptation yesterday. Thank you, Jesus, for helping me be steady on this road. Thank you, Jesus, because, man, without you, this was going to be tough. A.W. Tozer said this, the driver on the highway is safe, not when he reads the signs, but when he what? Obeys them. It's not enough for us to read these laws. It's we need to obey them. That's what they're there for. And it's not there to stifle us. And here's the questions for us just to consider. What if obedience to God isn't meant to stifle our lives, but rather to free us to live it? What if obedience is the mechanism, the way for us to live a blessed or a good life? What if its whole purpose is for us to live life to the fullest? I I heard this once before. Behind every thou shalt not, there is a thou shalt. Behind every thou shalt not, there is a thou shalt. It's a beautiful thing. Don't murder. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt have a, be wonderful and as much as possible, live in peace with everyone as much as they can, as much as humanly possible to do. Have wonderful relationships as much as you can do. Be reconciled as much as you can. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Enjoy the spouse in your life. Enjoy the person whom God has brought to you. Enjoy that person. Have a wonderful life with that person. Thou shalt not covet. Enjoy the stuff God has given you. Be content. There are reasons why I'm not Bill Gates. I probably couldn't handle that kind of wealth. If I'm honest about it. God knows it. Thank goodness right? Oh, I would be really like, I get sanctimonious about it, right? Uh, I'll give some away. I love it. You know, people often, I love it. It's great. We'll take it. People say, you know, I bought a lottery ticket. Don't worry. I'm going to give some to the church if I win. (laughs) We'll take it. That's all right. That's good. I hope you're not saying that to make yourself feel better for buying a lottery ticket. I couldn't care less. Fine. I mean, be content with what you have. It's okay. Love the stuff that God has given you. That's admission number two. Keep me steady, Father, because it is not easy to stay on this road. And here's the final one, admission number three. I'm learning to walk steadily, Father. Please don't give up on me. I'm learning. I'm learning. Please don't give up on me. Verses seven and eight say this. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. Did you catch that, church? As I learn your righteous laws. These things don't come naturally to us, by the way. There is some teaching involved. There is some instruction that has to happen. In verse 8, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me as I'm learning to do it. And I am grateful for the scriptures that reaffirm the fact that God never abandons us. Let me just share two passages with you. Deuteronomy 31.8 says this, 
The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Living a life in obedience to Jesus Christ is not easy. It is simple, but not easy. There are times we may fall off. Let me correction. There are times we will fall off that road. But thank goodness for the Father in heaven who loves us and restores us, redeems us, reconciles us, and places, back, places us back in that road and says, let's do this again. Philippians 1.8 says this, being confident of this, that, who, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a much more paraphrased version of this, the unofficial version. God didn't bring you this far to leave you. God didn't bring you this far to leave you. We are here because God has brought us here. We are here because God is doing a wonderful work in our lives. And how beautiful are his laws, his precepts, his decrees, his ways, that we can follow them and we can do the best we can and understand that when we fall off that road, Jesus is there and says, guess what? I am not done with you yet. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. But we have a choice this morning. I want to end with this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. Moses is credited with writing Deuteronomy, and he writes the following as God is speaking. God says the following, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, the good life, the blessed life, as well as death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. The people of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses can't go in with them, but this is what he offers them. He offers them a choice. Here's death. Here's life. Here's prosperity. Here's destruction. Here is being blessed. Here's being cursed. And he goes on and says this. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. We have a choice. We really do. Some of my Calvin brothers and sisters might have some angst about that. That's okay. But we have a choice. We can choose today to live a blessed life. It is not given to us on a silver platter. And let me just say this. Anything given to us on a silver platter, we ought to turn away. We probably shouldn't take it. Anything served on a silver platter, from our experience in Scripture, not a good thing. We have a choice. Maybe you're here today and you are walking that road. Blessed life. You may not feel it may not seem as real to you because the reality is, yeah, there are other things that happen to us that are not our fault. There are other things in, that other people have made choices to that we have relationships with that oftentimes impact us. Let me just say this. Don't give up. Keep walking. Maybe you're here today and you've gotten off that road. You can get back on it. You can get back on it. 
God will restore you. Let's just be honest with him. Say, God, I messed up. I'm learning. Don't give up on me. I'm like a toddler learning to walk. I keep falling. God says, it's okay. It's all right. Let's walk together. And maybe you're here today and you have no idea. You still have questions. Maybe you're still not on that road at all. You have a choice. You can choose today to be on that road. And in many ways, mimic with the emotions and the joy and the sorrows and the frustrations and all the emotions by which I think this author in the first eight verses of this psalm wrote. Get on this road. You can choose to live a blessed life, a good life. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you have made it as plainly clear to us as you can of what it looks like for us to live a blessed life. To live a life, Jesus, where you would look at us and you would be pleased, happy. I pray for myself, for anyone else who has walked this road and is walking this road, but not feel as though it's worth it. I just pray for encouragement, for persistence, for strength. For those of us, Jesus, who have walked this road, but we are now, have gone off of it. And it's gotten worse. It's not been easy. We've caused some damage. We have sinned. I pray, Jesus, please forgive us. Restore us. Put us back on that road again. And I pray for anyone here this morning, Jesus, who may not be on that road at all. I pray that today they would make the decision, the choice, their own choice of their own free will in response to how much you do love every single one of us. They just may not know it until today. That they would choose to walk this road starting today. Thank you, Father, so much for your laws, your precepts, your commands. Thank you for your life that you have laid before us for us to have. May we choose life today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.